and welcome to O'Connor Day Unplugged on Tuesday, the 23rd of September 2021. Mark Penders on the East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Government bonds have been under significant pressure this year with sharply rising commodity prices, combining with forecasts for a vaccine they'd pick up in economic growth to give inflation expectations a sizable boost in financial markets. And of course, there's also the Biden stimulus package and plenty of supply too. Since the beginning of January, 10-year nominal yields are up around 45 basis points in the US, 50 basis points in the UK, 25 basis points in Germany, and even 12 basis points in Japan. Now, it's worth remembering that in all these countries, the increase has been from historically very weak, if not record low levels. However, for some central banks, it seems that the rise has already been too much. With an eye on maintaining favourable financing conditions, just yesterday, ECB President Christine Lagarde was doing her best to jawbone eurozone bond yields lower. And that despite the yield curve still being negative out to 17 years. Similarly, having watched local yields rise more than 60 basis points since the beginning of the year, the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Aussie, returned to the market Monday after a two-month gap to purchase one billion Aussie dollars worth of shorter dated debt. So it would seem that at least some monetary authorities are much less convinced than investors about the ability of economies to withstand higher borrowing costs before a sustainable recovery is properly in place. There could be an interesting battle ahead. On which note, Mark, Jerome Powell was speaking to Congress a short while ago. So were there any hints from him that the Fed doesn't want US yields to go any higher either? Well, well, he's speaking now and he hasn't... uh touched on this um, topic uh, yet. It's just the beginning of his uh, testimony. He hasn't been on the record in in any very strong way about protesting um, higher uh, higher yields. And it's, as you said, they came from a low level, even though um, the yield curve has steepened so dramatically because, you know, the lower end is in a negative zone. So... um, it is uh, maybe he will clarify that. Uh, what he is clarifying so far is inflation. That um, there really is. He doesn't really see an immediate risk of inflation, which pushes back um, the 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 moment when uh, they'll begin tapering and withdrawing stimulus. He's trying to keep that mo- that moment as pushed back as far as possible, despite uh, rising. Indications that inflation um, is rising, and uh, um, and he's already, you know, mentioned that we may see a spike in annual rates in the coming months, but this will be a base effect relative to the depressed lockdown prices last right. year. Um, no, no worries on his part then with the well, assuming it finally goes through with the Biden stimulus package. No worries with the Biden stimulus package. He mentioned that the traditional relationship between high budget deficits and inflation just doesn't seem to have uh, taken place like all the other inflation. Uh, so so many of the inflation relationships, that is another one that uh, broke down in which he cited. And certainly the deficit has been skyrocketing even before the pandemic hit and emergency spending emerged um, and there was no significant inflationary pressure at all. So um, he's giving a green light 
for is uh, as if the Fed has power over what, what the Congress can spend or not spend. In any case, you know, he's giving a, a polite green light, I guess, on the side that it's OK with him. Right. It's interesting because over here, it, it really does seem, seem to be the case that despite the fact, or take Eurozone in particular, the Eurozone economy is clearly underperforming um, how things are going on your side. Um, Lagarde yesterday was uh, yeah, really, really seemed quite firm in a sense that we in line with what we've seen coming out of the States and in most industrialised countries, Eurozone you know, bond yields have been moving higher. But uh, they're still very low. I mean, as we record this podcast, we look at sort of the, the, ten, the 10 year for the euro area as a whole. It's still running at what about minus 0.3, 0 0.33%, something like that. So it's still mm. quite well into negative territory. But it seems already the move up we've had um, has started to ring a few alarm bells at the ECB. And of course, they come out with this idea that they're determined to ensure that the Eurozone has what they call favourable financing conditions. Mm -hmm. It seems that, you know, what is still at the end of the day, a still a relatively small move up in these yields, is, is threatening that. So markets announced... Is this going to affect um, QE? Well, this is the interesting part. It's only going to go on to because, I mean, it was started now. You know, get this creeping speculation that, well, what they're going to do about it. Um, if they're really concerned that the longer end, let's suppose U.S. Treasury yields continue to move higher and put upside pressure, that were to be the case, as it always does on, on European yields, then how can the ECB combat that? So clearly, first stage is that we're doing a Lagarde trick and just trying to jawbone these yields down. But it may be ultimately the only way they can do it is to actually come out and start increasing QE. So they increase their purchases of bonds with you to try to keep yields down that way. And this is a targeted mature. Uh, area? Well, it's, yes, yeah, it's we're talking about the 10 year here. So, I mean, most of the focus tends to be on 10 years as a, as, as a benchmark on uh, bond yield in Europe. I think, to be honest, it's a bit too early to assume that on the basis of what's happened so far, the ECB is going to automatically step up its uh, quantitative easing at the next meeting in March. But well, it's interesting that, that you know, people are starting to, you know, to at least even yeah. think about it. Well, yeah. And on that note, I guess you can imply uh, Powell uh, did say that um, they're not going to make any changes in their asset purchases. And if and when they do, he repeated that they're going to give everyone a super substantial amount of time to ponder it and a huge uh, advance signal or a modest advance signal, whatever it is. So it, and a change in um, or any targeting along the, mature, uh, uh, the yield curve would be, I think, a, a change in asset purchases. So I guess do, indirectly it, he's... Do you think he's, Sorry, John, do you think there's much of a, well, just quickly going back to the, to the ECB, and there is clearly a split form in the ECB now about what's happening to the Eurozone economy and inflation. So we've got you know, hawkish members like, you know, typically the Germans and the Austrians, who will look at today's updated inflation number, which confirmed the big jump in inflation in January. And that for them is going to be, well, look, that's it. We've done enough you know, quantitative easing. We can't do anything more on that front anymore. Tell us about about the jump in inflation oh okay well this is um so the, this is confirmation the final data for january uh and this well matched the uh the flash estimate which showed uh eurozone inflation so that the harmonized index consumer prices jumping from minus 0.3 percent which had been at what for about four months or so uh, up to 0.9 percent 
So that's a 1.2 percentage point increase in the space of one month, which, if I'm thinking, is, is pretty well unprecedented. During that, that, the, that's the that's the annual rate. That's yes, yeah, so I should say yeah. That's the annual the annual inflation. Is there a base rate. effect? Is there a base effect? No. Well, no. The, I mean, originally, I mean, markets when we had the preliminary figures coming out, they're anticipating a jump in inflation because we had uh, you know, the uh, the unwinding of the three percentage point cut in German GNT, GM, <laughs> GMT in German VAT, which they introduced last July. Um, however, it's interesting if with the final data, the Eurostat issue, the measure of inflation with um, taxes held constant. And so that would strip out the German effect. And looking at that, it still went up from 0.3% to 1.0%. So for whatever reason, inflation at the start of the year in the Eurozone yeah, increased very sharply. And I think if you're a hawk on the governing council, they're going to be concerned about this. And they certainly want to see at least no further increase in the February data, if not some kind of pullback. Um, what, what and that's why I was with regards to the so just with the FOMC, yeah. you know, there's, going to, there's various forms of split starting to appear within the ECB Council. Do mm. you think if, let's say, mm. longer data yields in the US continue to rise or perhaps we get a pickup of inflation, mm. you're going to start seeing some kind of split on the FOMC or are they fairly you know, unanimous on how they think things are going to pan out? They're unanimous so far, but greater stress would break that uh would break that unanimity right. and you would start seeing um, comments on the side. Uh, I, I haven't seen that. Um, that is something to look for uh, is going to be um, a hawkish uh, reaction, <laughs> uh, but we haven't seen it. Um, so there's not enough of it. And Powell is not on the defensive yet in, in how he describes um uh, inflation right now. Uh, they're just playing the, the, you know, it hasn't gone anywhere for a long, long time since anyone can remember. And so why should we think it's going to, they don't really know why <laughs> it's flying by the seat of your pants, I guess. Um, but speaking about no, what now you, uh, you also cover the Swiss uh, producer and import prices, but they were going in the other direction. And that kind of surprised me because I noticed like, was it last week? There was a big upper revision to Italian CPI, was it? And that seemed, wasn't that surprising to get the final um, on a month that different from the preliminary? It is unusual. And to be honest, it's, it's worth mentioning that, I think, in a sense that you do kind of wonder if there's something funny going on with the data in terms of January. I think, you know, as we've talked about on the podcast in the, in the past, seasonally adjusting the data around the turn of the year is extremely difficult. Um, and it may well be that something funny has gone into this January's number, which wasn't in last January. And so you know, that's helped to distort it. And the fact that we did get, as you mentioned, an unusually large revision um, coming through, again, perhaps is you know, a reason for questioning the data. Mm -hmm. And I suppose without sort of skipping away from Europe, on that note, it's worthwhile just mentioning uh, Canada. Because we had the Canadian inflation numbers out at the back end of last week. Now they're a little bit stronger than expected, albeit they're still quite quite low. And the headline inflation number in Canada uh, came in on a year-on-year basis of 1.0% up from 0.7%. But interestingly, the the Bank of Canada's preferred measure, and essentially they have three different measures of core inflation. They tend to look at the average of those three. That came in initially as at one Point five percent. So that's as of Friday, and that was just that was down from uh, sorry up from one point four percent in the previous month. As of yesterday, they revised up that figure 
uh, to 1.8 percent. They also revised up the December number. So uh, that sits now at 1.7 percent. So all of a sudden, just in terms of Canada, you know, 1.8 percent, we're you know, within sort of striking distance of uh, you know, the 2 percent midpoint target. So, again, you know, on the basis of the way inflation's moving out there, mm-hmm. if you're a believer, inflation is determining in, in, in um, interest rates at the moment, then what's happening with the Bank of Canada really would suggest that they could be in the first central banks to start tapering. Well, how the global central banks um, begin to withdraw stimulus is going to be the ultimate sensitive point for communications. Do you think the Bank of Canada is going to have to face that uh, challenge first? On the way things are going at the moment, I think certainly the Bank of Canada, especially in the light of these changes to the inflation numbers, has got to be one of the leading candidates to make some kind of a change. Um, but I think yeah, it, it will do it as so many central banks try to do now. You start drip feeding it into the market. So you start talking about, you know, economic is, the economy is looking a little bit better. Things are starting to look good. So if interest rate were to rise, it'd be for the right reasons, basically, because the economy is doing well. But I mean, you're perfectly right. I mean, selling the idea of the fact that, hey, we're going to stop dishing all this money into financial Uh markets is going to take a bit of swallowing. Well, offer some uh, communication nuts and bolts. So you're suggesting just like on the side in comments, you know, in the elevator kind of thing where you just hint to the reporters, something like that, or is that how you would get the ball rolling? Wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, let's be honest, it's not too often these days you get a a major central bank making a, a significant policy change, which wasn't at least half expected in the market, if not, let's say, three quarters discounted in the market. And part of that is to do with the communications of it. I mean, so many f- official central bank speakers now who just, you say, do the sort of drip, drip, drip fee to get sentiment moving in the right direction. So it tends to be you know, almost the old buy the rumor, sell uh-huh. on the fact kind of approach. And, and the idea is to limit the first initial react the aha reaction in the markets to try to get a gradual movement in the market correction in prices as opposed to a a one that happens all of a sudden now that's a pretty challenging thing especially how highly communicated all the inspective the markets have become yeah i think that's right and in fact, it's, I mean, it's really getting quite interesting at the moment, because if we continue to see the same sort of pattern in europe that we have so far this year um then, yeah, it's, it's a real question is, you know, can how can the, the ECB, let's say, increase its quantitative easing program at a time when you're clearly going to have some members like Germany who aren't going to want to do it in Australia? Um, where, again, they've had this big increase in yields, which, is, as we talked a bit about last week, has been underpinning the likes of the Aussie dollar. It's got to the stage now whereby markets are starting to think, well, look, at this rate, the RBA may have to hike interest rates in order to contain the longer end of the market. Otherwise, it's just going to keep on doing its own thing. So you know, what's happening at the longer end of the market now could actually become, you know, to some extent, a driving force of what central bank can do at the short end or, as we, as we mentioned earlier, in terms of their quantitative easing program. But for the ECB in general, um, aside from the questions of, of keeping a, a, um, down the yield curve, are, are, are they – the Fed is closer to withdrawing stimulus than it is to – uh, maybe not holding steady. It's probably more drawn to holding steady, 
But the next thing is withdrawing stimulus. And there's always the possibility that they may have to somehow add new stimulus, but that's not really a, a question right now. It's just this emerging question mm-hmm. that seems to be getting bigger with every – it's like the Econo Day um, uh, consensus divergence index for the U.S. is just popping off the roof here. It's because of all the, the data in the last couple of weeks have been beating like high-end expectations like home prices with FHA and Case-Shiller, just way out in record land. And um, and the Fed is still buying mortgage-backed securities and mortgage rates are still at historic lows. So they're going to allow this to heat up. Um, but anyway, so that's – so where do you think the ECB is? I mean along this path of are, – are, is the, the tapering within sight? No, I really, I really don't think it can be. Um, for that to come about, I think we have to see inflation continue to climb and decline quite sharply. Um, we still don't know the results of this deep and meaningful uh, structural re- uh, um, investigation into how monetary policy is going to work in the future. That's due out, I think, around about the middle of this year. Uh, and that may change perhaps the target in some shape or form, although it still seems as if 2% is going to remain probably at the bottom line. But I think when you look at the European real economy, um, well, what have we got? OK, so we know that from the inflation side, it's not the real side, obviously, but inflation has gone up a lot, but it's still well below target and it's well below target on all measures. In terms of more recent data, well, what we had European car sales, they were down, what, 26 percent on the year in January. And that's the steepest decline on record. Even in the likes of Germany, uh, they were down over 31 percent. And Germany mm-hmm. is supposed to be one of the stronger performers. Mm-hmm. The flash Eurozone February PMI, the Composite Output Index, that was 48.1. So it's not even indicating the economy starting to grow yet. We've got COVID restrictions across all the countries. Germany's extended its lockdown into what early March time. So the first quarter, I'd say it's guaranteed we'll get a negative print for that, but it certainly looks very likely. So I think you know all the comments really coming out of the ECB currently are that you know they continue to stand by to do what's necessary to get the recovery back in place again. While given, given the COVID is coming down. And this vaccination, regardless of what medical science is yet to prove, it's they're correlating in time. The vaccinations are correlating with this sharp decrease in cases. Is um, the ECB behind the ball in a uh, COVID reopening? Would that take them totally by surprise? Because you could get a buying party. You could get everything going on. Yeah. Let's, it's, I'll take your point completely, and I suppose it's an interesting compare and contrast with the UK. And one of the things the UK has got right during this crisis, and I don't think it's got a great deal right, but you know the, the COVID rollout has been extraordinary. And that's been reflected in exactly what you're saying in terms of you know, expectations now for second half year growth in the UK. They haven't gone through the roof, but they've been ratcheted up significantly because of the vaccine rollout's gone so well. And as you say, people looking, well, look, there's a lot of pent up demand out there. Um, so you get a big increase in demand. We'll have the workers back working. So a big increase in supply. So in theory, that should be really good news. And who knows, perhaps the Bank of England will even end up hiking interest rates before everyone currently expects. So the pound's been going through the roof, really. But for continental Europe, we've still got this very slow rollout. And I think one of the the, you know, the worries at the ECB is that the rollout is so slow that it's going to mean that you know the lockdowns are going to remain in place that much longer, which means that the turnaround in the economy is going to come through that, that much more slowly than the likes of the UK or as already seeing on, on your side of the water. 
So I think it's, you know, it's, it's difficult for any central bank, I think, in this kind of environment, because at the end of the day, who knows what's going to happen to COVID? Are there going to be more mutations, variants that perhaps the vaccines won't tackle as well? We, at this stage, we really don't know. But I think it is the case that amongst uh, central banks generally, the ECB at this stage looks like one of the, it's going to be one of the slowest to actually you know, to start the tapering process. OK, what else we got? Um, I suppose I'll quickly mention the UK um, in terms of the numbers here, where they've been sort of a little bit all over the place. Um, and we had a surprisingly strong fourth quarter of last year when we actually saw the economy expanding, what, 1% or so in the quarter. But retail sales fell out of bed in January. They were down 8.2% on the month. And these are volume sales. And that, of course, reflects the reintroduction of another lockdown, our third one. Um, and that in itself is so steep, it, or, well, it almost guarantees we're going to see a, a contraction in UK first quarter GDP as well. That said, the Bank of England's expecting a decline of over 4%. So I guess immediate implications for you know, what's going to happen to monetary policy are still fairly limited. And as anyways, as you sort of alluded to before, I mean, it's all about the vaccine at the moment. And investors are looking at sterling dollar and sterling euro and thinking, well, the vaccine rollout is so far ahead in the UK that sterling still got to be a buy even at current levels. And so we saw sterling dollar rise above, what, 140 for the first time back end of last week since April 2018, for actually amazingly enough starting to move back towards the levels we saw before the uh, the EU referendum, the pounds recovered that well. So it really does show just you know what the what the markets are concentrating upon at the moment. Uh -huh. oh, we have an update, uh, uh, a headline from Jerome Powell. He on long rates and uh -huh, it's not time. too it's not too earth shaking he says that they reflect a quote statement of confidence unquote in the strength of the of the recovery so it's a good thing yeah it's interesting <laughs> question is how you sell it isn't it but it's interesting that you've got someone like powell coming out and saying it's a good thing because it means hey we're doing well and you get lagarde saying no please you don't want them any higher because it's going to mess up the economy yeah but it's going to be interesting because, you know, typically speaking, the dollar is quite well correlated with the yield gap between you know, what's happened to dollar assets or you know, dollar, dollar bonds and what's happened to eurozone bonds. Mm -hmm. So if we see um, you know, the interest rate differentials moving further in favour of the dollar, for all those people who have been saying, oh, the dollar's going to fall during the course of this year uh, because uh, Fed's quantitative easing has been much more aggressive than elsewhere, mm -hmm. it could well be in actual fact we see the dollar starting to turn around again. Well, are, are the US rates dragging up European rates? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, if you see uh, a rally in um, Treasury yields, then almost irrespective of what's happening in Europe, you see European yields being dragged up as well. But we are seeing US yields rise more quickly than European yields. So, you know, as things are currently progressing at the moment, you know, yield spreads are starting to move you know, more and more in favour of what's going on on your side. OK, what else we got? I don't think there's too much else from my side. Um, oh, I should mention we get an RBNZ, uh, Reserve Bank of New Zealand. They'll be meeting later on this evening. No changes in policy there, although, again, a bit like as we talked about with the Australian dollar yesterday, uh, the New Zealand dollar has been trading around what getting on for three year highs against the US dollar. So expect still a relatively cautious uh, communicate to be coming out of the RBNZ because they don't really want to see, just like the RBA, they're currently rising too much higher because it's going to really start hitting their exports. And we also have the Bank of Korea. Indeed, I guess uh, you talked to me about the Bank of Korea in the absence of uh, Mr. Jackson. 
Well, no, no change is expected, but I don't know the the, the the nuts and bolts over there. So, Right. I do know that South Korea has been doing quite well recently on the back of the pickup in particularly the Chinese economies. Um, I know their you know, exports into China have been doing very well. So, But we shall be able to find more about that next week when we have uh, Brian Jackson joining us to give us some kind of update on what's going on in Asia. Um, on which note are we done? Or is it else you like so, yeah. Mr. Powell before he disappears or whatever? Yeah, we have to get back onto Mr. Powell here. Yes, and then tomorrow too. So it's just not the rest of today. Indeed. Okay. Right. Well, let's wrap it up there then. On behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as ever for listening. We'll be back next week when, as I mentioned, uh, Brian will be joining us for uh, an update on his part of the world in downtown Asia. In the meantime, remember, you can follow all the key market moving data and events via Conaday's global economic calendar. Bye for now.